Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. The conversation continues with pulmonologist Dr. Marcella Frank about sleep apnea, diagnosing it, and how to treat it so you can stop losing sleep over it. Here's Rasa Kay. I'm Rasa Kay, and we continue our discussion with pulmonologist Dr. Marcella Frank. Sleep apnea doesn't just make you tired and cranky, it can harm your heart. Dr. Frank explains diagnosing it and the ways and the whys to treat it. Cardiology refers a large number of patients because many people with sleep apnea are in the cardiologist's offices because they have already suffered from heart complications of sleep apnea, which can include heart failure, heart attacks, coronary artery disease. In some cases, we see people referred because they have a monitor that they wear to monitor the heart rate, and the cardiologist sees that the heart rate drops during sleep. Heart rate can drop during sleep because the oxygen levels are low, and your heart can actually stop during sleep, and you can die during sleep from low oxygen levels if you already have underlying heart disease. So we know that snoring increases the risk of high blood pressure. People who have had repetitive snoring for four years are at increased risk of high blood pressure. We know that sleep apnea is worse than snoring, and there is an increased incidence of coronary artery disease and heart attacks, as well as heart failure. Now, a little bit of sleep apnea is probably not going to cause a lot of heart disease, but severe sleep apnea certainly will. And there's several mechanisms for this. One is the drop in oxygen levels. Every cell in your body needs oxygen to function, and that certainly includes the heart. So one of, one of the issues is how low the oxygen levels go. The second issue is when you are struggling to breathe past a blocked airway, there are changes in the pressure in the chest, what we call intrathoracic pressure. And that changes the pressure across the heart wall membrane. So instead of just having higher pressure inside the heart and lower pressure around the heart, the pressures change significantly. So the pressure around the heart gets even lower because you're struggling to breathe. And that division across the wall of the heart can cause heart enlargement and lead to heart failure. So there are a variety of things that, that happen in the heart as a result of not breathing properly and, not ha- and having low oxygen levels. Some people are referred for a sleep evaluation because the physician has had difficulty controlling their blood sugar. Sometimes it turns out that the blood sugar in the morning, what's typically called the fasting blood sugar, is higher than the blood sugars during the day. That shouldn't be the case because you haven't been eating during the night and therefore that fasting blood sugar should be the lowest of the day. So one of the reasons that the fasting blood sugar can be higher is sleep apnea. When you're not breathing right, your body is under stress. And part of that stress increases the cortisol levels, just like if you were being chased down the street or, or being attacked. Cortisol raises the blood sugar. It also has a tendency to deposit food as fat, just like taking prednisone tablets. So consequently, we normally have low cortisol levels during sleep hours, but people who have sleep apnea often have high cortisol levels which drives the sugar up and can make diabetes harder to control. It also can deposit your food at night while you're sleeping, so you're kind of gaining weight while you're asleep, which is really depressing. 
So there are numerous pathways that people come to me. That includes being self-referred. It includes coming from a primary doctor who has just diagnosed high blood pressure and is trying to evaluate that further, or from a cardiologist seeing a patient that already has problems and they think sleep apnea may be a contributing factor. So take us through a diagnosis. The patient is evaluated in the sleep specialist's office. We take a comprehensive assessment not only of factors that could be contributing to sleep apnea, but anything that's actually contributing to compromised sleep. As we mentioned, that can include restless legs, periodic leg movements, heartburn during the night, coughing, lung disease, chest pain, physical discomfort in the back or the neck. So these are all factors that can compromise function of sleep. So part of the evaluation is looking for all of those factors and trying to either counsel or refer people to have those factors resolved. So you're gonna rule some of that stuff out first? Not first, because we're gonna do it all at the same time. So if somebody has sleep apnea, it doesn't mean that they don't have other things. So we're looking in a comprehensive way. If we suspect sleep apnea, we're going to order a sleep study. The sleep study typically is done in a sleep center and is a comprehensive assessment, including monitoring EEG for sleep quality, breathing, oxygen levels, EKG to monitor the heart rate and rhythm, and leg movements. So the simultaneous monitoring during the night allows us to often see cause and effect. If someone has a breathing pause, we can see what does it do? Does it disturb the quality of sleep? Does it decrease the oxygen levels? Does it cause irregularities in the heart, slowing or extra beats? If we see a leg jerk or leg kicks, we can see did that come from a breathing pause or is it happening from something like restless legs or periodic leg movements? All these things can disturb the quality of sleep, but some of them are also causing heart risk, such as the sleep apnea. Home testing devices seem to be a pretty hot item. Is that an option? How does that play into a sleep study? So home testing is not only an option, it's become a mainstay because many of the insurance companies do not want to authorize in-lab testing because it's a bit more expensive because it is more comprehensive. So many of the insurance companies will not approve in-lab testing, they will only approve home testing. And some people just cannot sleep away from home either because of personal issues or family responsibilities. The home testing only records breathing. So the problem is it cannot tell whether you're asleep or awake. It cannot tell what's happening with the heart rhythm or with the leg movements. It is a screening test for sleep apnea. Because it can't tell if you're asleep, it tends to underestimate the breathing disturbances because if you're awake half of the night, your breathing is normal during those hours. And so it divides the breathing disturbances and the hours of monitoring and comes up with a rate per hour, which may underestimate sleep apnea. This sounds like a problem. It, it is. <laughs> But for people that understand that, if the home testing is inconclusive or not consistent with the symptoms that they presented with, we as sleep professionals go back to the insurance company and say, we did the screening test, it is not giving us the information we need to diagnose this patient, and they often will then approve the in-lab study. So when we look at the results of the sleep study, either a home sleep test or an in-lab test, if the breathing disturbances are more than five per hour, that diagnoses sleep apnea. Less than five breathing disturbances per hour is normal. The reason for that is if you yawn or stretch, there's going to be pauses. Sometimes when you switch stages of sleep, there are pauses. So up to five per hour has not been shown to cause significant health problems. Five to 15 breathing disturbances per hour is considered mild sleep apnea. 
15 to 30 is moderate, over 30 is severe. We also take into consideration how low the oxygen levels go, as well as the number of breathing disturbances, and we also take into consideration how disrupted the sleep is as a result of those breathing disturbances. So all of this weighs into how urgent this sleep apnea needs to be treated or how severe it is and how it may be affecting the individual. So treatments, what's the next step then? So the gold standard treatment for sleep apnea is CPAP, and CPAP has been around for about 40 years. It is essentially 100% effective for everybody who tries it, and the symptoms are relieved usually within a day or a few days. So it truly is one of the miracles of medicine. The problem is that every miracle has a catch, and the catch to this is that you need to be able to use it comfortably most or all of the night. So what CPAP does, it's a little machine that sits on the night table, it takes air from the room, gives it back under a little pressure that holds the airway open. So it stabilizes the airway so it's not collapsing and it's not vibrating. Snoring is completely gone and breathing disturbances are completely controlled. In addition, oxygen levels are normal and sleep quality is restored. So consequently, it normalizes anything that the sleep apnea may be causing. But like your glasses, it only works when you wear it. So if you don't wear it, the sleep apnea is exactly the way it was before the treatment was started. Now these need to be fitted pretty carefully because of the mask you need. Masks need to be fitted well if there's anything we've learned recently. <laughs> but a lot of people just can't tolerate it. So part of the process is to identify the right mask. There are hundreds of different masks and they're not all even masks. Some of them are just little nasal pillows that go into the nostrils. Some of them are a little opening underneath the nose with a small cradle that delivers the air pressure. Some are nasal masks that go over the nose. Some are full masks that include the nose and the mouth. It's really a matter of what the individual is comfortable with and what's needed in order to maintain the air seal in the back of the throat. We work with people to adjust the pressures. We teach people how to adjust the humidifier that's attached to the CPAP. We work on different types of masks. After 90 days, if someone has not been able to use the machine on a regular basis, the insurance company essentially says, you can send the machine back, the rental period is up because you haven't used it often enough or benefited from it. So this machine is not permanently attached. You get a 90-day trial to see if you can get used to it working with a sleep specialist. If people cannot get used to CPAP, there are other options. For example, surgery on the back of the throat will remove the tonsils, trim up the uvula and the soft palate, and open up the space that's causing the obstruction and causing the noise. The surgery on the back of the throat is, in general, about 50% effective. The reason is that the soft palate and the tonsils are only one area where the obstruction occurs. It can also occur from the tongue being too big or too floppy. It can occur from the jaw sitting back and the tongue living in the back of the throat further. So the surgery in the back of the throat doesn't address that type of obstruction. Oral appliances that are made by a dentist address that level of obstruction. So an oral appliance is fitted by a dentist and people wear it when they sleep at night and it slides the lower jaw forward which keeps the tongue from dropping into the back of the throat. The oral appliance in and of itself, again, about 50% effective because it's not addressing the area in the back of the throat. So if you were to address all the areas of obstruction, you would come up to something close to what CPAP does. Having said that, any improvement 
is better than no improvement. So for people that absolutely cannot tolerate CPAP, these other options can provide at least 50% decrease in severity, which helps people to be healthier and to feel better. Weight loss is a major factor for your health and also for sleep apnea. And the excess weight, as I mentioned before, blocks the space in the back of the throats on the side, just as the tonsils do. So if you remove the tonsils and still have the weight, you still have narrowing in the sides of the throat. So bariatric surgery has become very popular because people accomplish a significant amount of weight loss in a fairly short period of time. And for many of those people, that can cure the sleep apnea. But to be clear, a thin person can have sleep apnea. A thin person can absolutely have sleep apnea. And when I have people who have bariatric surgery, I counsel them and say, just because you've lost the weight is not a guarantee that the sleep apnea will go away. When the weight is down, you need to repeat the sleep study and see if the sleep apnea is gone. Even if you have an established patient, with CPAP seems to be working. You know, after 10 years, do they need to do a sleep study again? Things do change. Your health changes. We have a download that we can get from the CPAP machines. So the machine has wireless technology. It also has an SD card, and it also has Bluetooth technology that can transmit to an app on your phone. So we have the ability to watch if the sleep apnea is adequately controlled with the current pressures, and the pressures on the machine can be adjusted also wirelessly through the internet if needed. What that doesn't tell us, however, is the oxygen levels or the sleep quality. So it does tell us if the pressures are controlling the sleep apnea, but it doesn't tell us what other factors may be impacting that individual. When someone comes back and has recurred symptoms, that's typically when we would look at the download and consider doing a new sleep study to see why the symptoms are back. We ask people to come once a year for a regular follow-up, but that doesn't mean that they need a sleep study once a year or even once every five or 10 years. But the regular follow-up is what allows the physician to screen for the symptoms, check the download on the machine, discuss newer technologies. Are we looking at drugs to treat sleep apnea? Unfortunately, at this time, there's no drug that will resolve sleep apnea because it's related to obstruction. There is a lot of research being done trying to find medications that can maintain the tone in the back of the throat or maintain the tone of the tongue. But right now, there really is no reliable medication that will treat sleep apnea. So if you're having bad sleep, either by your perception or by measurements, you really should seek treatment. The primary doctor is certainly the first one to speak with. Unfortunately, many primary doctors prescribe a sleep aid after only about two or three questions, and that was actually researched and published in medical journals. So when you take a sleeping pill, you tend to sleep better, but it doesn't answer the question of why that was happening. So the sleep doctors don't generally prescribe sleeping pills. Our goal is to find out why is it happening and to fix it without having to take medication. Sometimes the primary physicians will send patients right away and not prescribe medication. Sometimes they will send to patients when the medication doses have been increased and they're not really sure where to go with the medication in terms of higher. Let's talk about how Deborah treats sleep apnea then. So Deborah has had sleep testing at a sleep center for many, many years, and it's a comprehensive center that is accredited by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. When you see a pulmonologist at Deborah for any type of breathing problems, they will often ask questions relevant to sleep apnea and may order a sleep study or refer to one of the sleep specialists. 
people who are seeking information and want some information before they actually see a physician, and I do encourage education for everybody, demanddebora.org has information that people can look at and also can find a way to make an appointment with a sleep specialist or other specialists at Deborah, including cardiology and pulmonary. That's pulmonologist Dr. Marcella Frank. We'll have another deep dive into cardiovascular health in our next podcast on the first Wednesday of next month. Join us then. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at demanddeborah.org.